Welcome to the Shit Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Broder. Are you ready to shoot the shit? Welcome back to the Shit Talk Podcast. It's Liz Broder. I missed you guys last week. I hope you missed me. It was actually Yom Kippur, and I was planning on recording this in advance and still having it drop. And sometimes shit just comes up and I did not have the energy to do it in a way that I wanted to put out. So I didn't do it and took a week off. My apologies. But that said, today is about fasting. I Like I said, timing would have been a little bit more ideal if it actually dropped on Yom Kippur when we were all fasting. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that didn't happen. Here we are. I hope everyone had an easy fast. I actually think it's to everyone's benefit, mine and whoever's listening, that this is a week later because it's allowing me to reflect on my day of fasting for my episode on fasting. So of course, this is Shit Talk. I'm going to talk about fasting, intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating, how it impacts your gut, how it impacts your health. That's what we're in for today. And of course, some tips, what puts you out of fasting, ways to start, ways to build up, how to do it. But it's interesting because one thing I recognize every year on Yom Kippur is that I'm I'm, I'm never truly hungry until much later than you'd expect. So the idea of like, oh my God, I have to fast for 24 hours. This is crazy. I can't do it. Honestly, it's so much easier when I'm actually doing it than the anticipation and like the concept of it. So like for me personally, the biggest struggle is water. Literally fucking kill me. Without water, I'm just a terrorist and I hate everyone and everything. As you know, water is my MVP for a reason. So you can only imagine me without water for 24 fucking hours. But anyway, truly, my stomach does not start growling until like 1 p.m.-ish. And I start to get a little lightheaded and exhausted, maybe by like 2. And then by 3, I'm pretty unpleasant. But by 3 o'clock, you're almost there. So... It's not as bad as you ever think. And then break your fast. Again, another wild part. You always think, or people think, oh my God, you break your fast. You're going to have like five bagels and a pizza and maybe a steak and like 15 tacos. Like, no, literally no. I eat like a normal portion and I'm full. I definitely have dessert, which is of course more than normal. I don't have dessert every single day, like on the reg, but it's not like this huge feast. It's like, you're very hungry, but you eat. And it's always surprising the amount it takes till you're actually full. It's not like, oh, I skipped a whole day. Now I need to eat a whole day's worth of calories. Like that's not what happens. So I like it because it allows you to, gives you an opportunity, a forced opportunity, but it's a good opportunity. Tune into your actual hunger and satiety cues. That to me is what's so fascinating. And don't let your mind fuck with you. It's easy to think, I haven't eaten for 24 hours. I need to eat everything in sight. No. How hungry are you? Eat, pause, focus. Are you hungry? Are you full? Odds are you're going to be relatively full after a normal 
amount of food. And normal, what does that mean? Normal means a typical portion you would eat. So the idea of fasting for 24 hours makes it seem like you'll be starving. But honestly, it's rarely the case. Tune in, hunger and satiety. I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of Yom Kippur. And it's a true reset and reflection for me in terms of getting in touch with my body. So I hope other people have a similar experience or had a similar experience. And if you didn't, perhaps next year, you'll go into it with a different mindset. But okay, on to fasting. I'm someone who personally does time-restricted eating. I adhere to the 16-8 method usually, which means it's an eight-hour eating window and 16 hours of fasting. It's important to mention there are boy. Hervorious. There are various forms of fasting. Today, I'm focusing on what we call in science, they call it time-restricted eating, which is basically what I just described and called intermittent fasting. It's when you have a window where you eat and a window where you fast. Like I said, most people refer to it as IF or intermittent fasting. It basically just extends the fast that happens naturally while you sleep. So the 16-8 is probably the most popular version of this diet. If you follow it, it means you are fasting for 16 hours, a majority of which are when you're asleep, and then you eat your your calories within an eight-hour window. So like for me personally, as you know, I'm early to bed, early to rise. I cut off my food as early as possible. So I like to be finished eating by like 6.30 at the latest. That's really difficult in summer when the days are longer and extended, it's warm, you're out, you're having fun. I talk about that in an episode from summer couple of months ago at this point. But the point is, I try to be done eating by 6.30 the latest. I break my fast then no earlier than 10.30 a.m. the next day. So sometimes it's right at 10.30. Sometimes it's at 11. Sometimes it's at 12. Depends on how hungry I am. What has Have I exercised? What's going on? Where am I in my menstrual cycle? All of that. So you don't need to adhere to that exact schedule if you're trying out intermittent fasting. In fact, please don't start with a 16-8. You want to start smaller, but I'll get into that in a bit. Now, I'm interested, obviously, in how intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating affects the gut microbiome. Because as we know, it's all about the foods you eat that dictate the gut's microbes and microbial diversity or lack thereof. We all know fiber feeds the good gut microbes and promotes microbial diversity. If you did not know that, please go back and start from the beginning because there's so much to say and I'm not saying it right now. And that's that. Now, recent studies suggest that intermittent fasting can alter the composition of the human gut microbiome by increasing microbial diversity and promoting microbial remodeling. I have to say, before I explain that, I love that microbial remodeling. It just makes me sound like I just bought a house. We have a decorator. We're doing some remodeling. And, you know, we're just, we're really like giving it a nice facelift. I, I, something about that term, I love it. So it promotes microbial diversity, microbial remodeling. Makes it sound really sexy and just amazing. So we found in this study I'm referring to, Although this is several recent studies, but what several of them found is that during fasting, there's a particular family of anaerobic bacteria called, let's hope I don't botch it, lacnospiracy. <laughs> lacnospiracy. It found that during fasting, this family bacteria flourished. This group of bacteria is actually responsible for a process we call butyrogenesis in the gut, which has been shown to have beneficial metabolic and longevity effects. 
The lactospirosi family are known for strong fermentation abilities and a probiotic effect. Now, do you remember butyrate, that short chain fatty acid I just fucking carry on about? There's a reason. Any connections there? Buterogenesis, butyrate, see what I'm getting at? So highly anti-inflammatory short chain fatty acid. Now we see it flourishing during fasting and it's incredible for the gut, incredible for overall health, as I mentioned, and highly anti-inflammatory. So you can imagine if you're fasting and this bacteria that helps promote the creation of butyrate goes up, then butyrate itself is going to go up, which means more anti-inflammatory activity, better for the gut and gut microbial diversity. I mean, amazing. Now, why 16-8? I get asked this a lot because it seems random. Like, why why would you pick 16? Why not 15 is like, you know, increments of five. Why is it 16 hours? So I'll tell you. Studies have shown that when fasting is around 16 hours, there are some studies that show 17, like it, it has to exceed 16 hours. But the 16-8, I'm, I'm focusing now on 16-8 and why 16. The reason is studies have shown that when your fasting hits 16 hours, even more so when you surpass it, but it, it has to be at least 16 hours, a process called autophagy begins. You may or may not be familiar with that term. Allow me to introduce you if this is new. Autophagy allows for cell regeneration. Cells are cleaning themselves, basically. They're excreting dead parts of themselves and renewing good parts of themselves. So another way to say it is it's an internal cellular detoxification that activates at 16 hours of fasting. We also see autophagy, autophagy, amazing. Another reason why it's amazing we also see that with the activation of autophagy comes, well, it promotes stem cell activation, which can, stem cells are amazing for a million reasons, but can lead to intestinal regeneration. So basically autophagy does not start until we hit that 16 hour mark. Autophagy allows your cells to basically clean themselves. I I hate to dumb it down like that, but like get rid of old parts, spiffy up the tired parts, rejuvenate. It's a a self-inflicted detox. Inflicted always has like negative um, connotations, so maybe that's not right. But it's, it's amazing that the body can do this all on its own. I just, it floors me every time I read the science. And even when I was in school learning about all this, like, even fight or flight, which I talked a lot about on my episode with Natalia, and we talked about mindset shifts. And I, you know, I do talk about fight or flight on lots of episodes, but specifically that when we talked about it, and I drastically dropped weight quickly because I went from being in a fight or flight mode to then being out of stress. And it, it's incredible to me that the body does that. And this is just another example of like, it's amazing that the body can do this. Like, Did you have any idea that if you fasted for 16 hours, your cells are just going to work? They are cleaning the shit out of themselves. They're like, bye, don't need that part. Bye, don't need that part. Oh, this part can be, this this part can can afford a facelift and let's like spiffy it up and like, we're going to be looking good by the end of the day. Like, is that not incredible? If you don't value your body, I mean, just think about that. And that's like one thing 
there are so many other processes, some of which I've covered in episodes, some of which I haven't. But I'm just like, I'm constantly amazed. <sighs> okay. Now I have another study to discuss. It is a rat study, but still, I mean, I like the information in it. I think it's helpful to hear, even though it's not in humans. This study, they did an 18 hour fast and a six hour eating period. So a little bit longer fasting, a little bit shorter eating period. And it showed that microbial richness and balance was significantly higher in the intermittent fasting group compared with the control group. There was another rat study that was completed relatively recently, and it reported that microbial diversity was significantly increased after 28 days of intermittent fasting. So after four weeks, they saw a significant increase in the microbial diversity. So these results, they're showing that intermittent fasting could have a significant influence on the variety and availability of species in your gut microbiome. And I also appreciate that the second study I mentioned showed after 28 days, AKA change takes motherfucking time. Not that there isn't change overnight. Like I said, if you are hitting that 16, 17 hour fast mark, autophagy is going to kick in. There will be change, but it's not necessarily clinically significant after a day. Do it for a month. Put in the time. Commit. That's why I wanted to mention that because there's definitely change going on that you are not seeing after a day. But wait for 28 days. Wait until six months. Can't even imagine that. But wait till those 28 days we see the significant difference in microbial diversity. Amazing. Now, I have some hoity-toity scientific things to throw out there, but it's important to mention, and then I will draw, I will connect the dots in a second. But so short-chain fatty acids, mentioned them before, but specifically butyrate, propionate, and acetate. They're produced by gut firmicutes and bacteria bacterioidetes, those are two types of bacteria. Um and they regulate metabolism in several ways by acting on what we call G-protein-coupled receptors, GPCRs. So acetate and butyrate specifically both stimulate the release of glucagon-like peptide 1, GLP-1, and peptide YY, PYY, both of which have effects on the pancreas, which influences things like insulin synthesis, and then the brain via the PYY-induced satiety. So I'm mentioning these, bear with me. We see that the most dominant bacteria in the intermittent fasting groups in different studies were firmicutes and bacterioidetes. They follow the generally, and this is generally what's accepted as a healthy microbiota composition. So in the control groups in these studies, the situation was different from what it should have been. We saw lower amounts of these firmicutes and lower amounts of these bacterioidetes. And it was clear that there was some sort of dysbiosis, AKA dysbiosis basically just means there's a gut bacterial imbalance. And just gentle reminder, gut dysbiosis is associated with many pathological conditions, including IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and several neurodegenerative diseases. So why am I talking about all these obnoxious words and peptides and, and I was about to say, and bullshit, like they're definitely not bullshit, but So the point is the results of these studies showed that the preferred intermittent fasting plan can help keep not only the gut microbiota in balance, but it also showed that short chain fatty acids 
those anti-inflammatory, multi-beneficial metabolites that we get from the healthy bacteria fermenting in the gut, that these increase with intermittent fasting. And since they, and since these short-chain fatty acids help regulate metabolism, metabolism, metabol, I can't speak. You take one week off and it all goes to hell. Since they help regulate metabolism they, and stimulate GLP-1, aka gentle reminder, GLP-1 may be ringing a bell because that's what weight loss meds like Ozempic are helping to increase. So these short-chain fatty acids regulate metabolism. They're stimulating the GLP-1, which things like Ozempic do, and they help increase satiety via that PYY, peptide YY. I hope I didn't botch that name. Yeah, PYY. The point is, it's fair to say that intermittent fasting, it's not only helping with gut microbial diversity and balance, you know, avoiding a dysbiosis, but it's maintaining healthier metabolism and can absolutely assist in weight loss for certain people, given that it's stimulating GLP-1 and increasing the satiety peptide, PYY. So, you know, if you're injecting Ozempic because it's a GLP-1, it's not that you're going to get the same results from fasting. I can't say that. And everyone is different. But the point is, try this first. Why would you want to be paying however many thousands of dollars for that and injecting yourself weekly unless you really, truly have to? Some people have to, and that's okay. Again, there's no shame in taking it. But my point is, if you're curious and you're like, well, what would a GLP-1 be like in my body? Try fasting first before you start shooting up with Ozempic. I do have to say, though, no one's asked me about Ozempic in a long time. It's been pretty refreshing. But anyway, another thing to focus on here, um, like I said, just going back to the weight loss drugs, if you're trying to increase GLP-1, and, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, please go back and listen to my Ozempic episode. But if you're trying to increase that, point is we saw that increase in these fasted subjects, in these studies. So kind of a big deal. Um, it also seems the gut in fasted subjects saw a large increase in, I already said this, but I'm just reiterating, in that bacterial fam family, lactosporaceae a group of bacteria responsible for butyrogenesis, AKA creating those short chain fatty acids that then have all of these incredible benefits. So are you seeing the connections here? Fasted guts have more time to heal. They have healthier bacteria flourishing that are supporting higher production of short chain fatty acids, which impacts microbial diversity, your metabolism, inflammation, and your overall health. Honestly, I love this because it's, the body is constantly, think about it like this, body is constantly working. Your gut needs a goddamn break. When it gets the break it needs from, and, and a break from digesting food, extracting nutrients. If you don't think that's tiring, I can assure you it is. When your gut gets a break from all that, we're giving it basically the time and space it needs to reset, to clean itself, allow autophagy to hit and sink in, cell renewal. It literally, this is your body's time to literally set itself up for success by creating an environment for healthy bacteria to flourish and their short-chain fatty acid production and short-chain fatty acids flourishing. And therefore, all of these anti-inflammatory benefits amongst all these other benefits. So I like to look at it like that, like 
you're fasting, you're giving your body a little break. If you're constantly putting food into it and you're constantly consuming calories, even drinks, constantly consuming calories, sugar, whatever, even if you're constantly eating healthy foods, the body needs a break. It can't constantly be digesting and extracting nutrients. Think about it like that. Now, here's a gentle reminder. Fasting is free. It can be used anywhere. You do not need to pack a contraption when you go on a trip. It can be altered to your schedule. It helps your body initiate a natural healing and reparative process. It's definitely something to consult your doctor about. It's definitely not for pregnant women or those with a history of an eating disorder. And of course, consult your doctor if you're unsure. Now, where to begin? I always say start with 12 hours. Some people don't even have a 12-hour fast between dinner and breakfast the next day. So start with that. If you finish dinner at 8, don't eat before 8 a.m. the next day. Start with that. See how that goes. Do that for two weeks. Then increase to 13 hours. Then 14. Do it gradually. You don't just wake up and run a goddamn marathon. I say that all the time. So you don't just say, you know what? My fasts are typically eight hours, so I think tomorrow I'm going to double it and do 16. Like, yeah, that's going to suck. Good luck. Set yourself up for success. Do it gradually. Let the body adjust. It's not going to feel so drastic and horrible. So start with 12 hours. Now, what can I have when fasting? So technically, any calories are going to break your fast. You can have water. In fact, I encourage loads of water. Please have water. Stay hydrated. Very important when you're fasting, especially when you're first starting. You can feel lightheaded. You're going to feel extra fatigued. And if you're dehydrated, for fucking get it. Don't talk to me. You better be drinking water if you're fasting. So you can have water. You can have tea. You can have black coffee. You don't want sugar. You don't want calories. From all the research I've done, there's mixed messaging in terms of like, like, the, like breaking a fast is calories in, period. It doesn't matter what they are. So that's that's what's confusing because there is mixed messaging. There's some things that say, you know, it's really about blood sugar and keeping that down. So you can have full fat cream in your coffee or you can have like ghee in your coffee, like that trend. And you're fine because fat stabilizes your blood sugar and it's not going to disrupt the fasted state. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That's science. People want to believe they can have a little creamer in their coffee. Fine. Is that going to spike your blood sugar? No, not if there's no sugar in it. If you're just having full fat cream, have a little bit. Okay. Now, I personally have water and black coffee, but I, I, I people ask this and it's a fair question. If you're someone who like has to have a little cream in your coffee, okay. Is it breaking your fast? Yes, technically it is because you're having calories and fasting is no calories, basically nothing in your mouth other than I would say, well, I mean, true fast is no liquids either, but we're talking about the time restricted eating. It's no calories. So technically calories will break that fast. However, it's unclear with the science if breaking that fast is also breaking your path to autophagy. So I say, start with water, start with black coffee, see how it goes see how you start to feel. If you need a tablespoon of creamer in your coffee, fine. Keep going. Eventually you may be able to build up to where you don't need it. But I'd say that's one of the most common questions. People are like, what counts? What breaks the fast? You know, 
what can I have? I, I mean, ideally you're just having water and black coffee or tea. Another thing I do like to mention, oftentimes when you're fasting, you'll notice changes in your appetite. So I talked about the PYY, the peptide YY satiety hormone earlier, and it gets induced with, we see with fasted subjects. So people find they're less hungry and they're fuller faster. So when we're talking about fasting for weight loss, me personally, I, I mean, with all these benefits, who gives a shit about the weight? I'd be like, this seems like a powerhouse for my health and body. So try to look at it like that. And if you happen to lose extra pounds and you're someone who could afford to lose extra pounds, great. It's an added bonus. But if you're doing it, pay attention to your appetite. When it's time to break the fast, how hungry are you? Are you lightheaded? If you're lightheaded, where's your water? You need to be responsible on your end. You need to stay hydrated during the process. And you may be super hungry, but you may not be. Again, back to my initial point in the opening, in my intro about Yom Kippur and fasting, you're not necessarily as starving as you think you're going to be. It's, it's, it's all a mindset. And I understand, especially when you're first starting, it seems drastic, but like, wait until you're actually hungry. See how you do. Pay attention to when you're actually starting to get hungry and where are you in the fast. Don't just assume it's time to break my fast, I have to break it. I've gone days where I, I fast 18, 19 hours, easy. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying I wasn't hungry for 18, 19 hours, which made it easy. I was drinking water. I worked out. It was definitely on like a Saturday or Sunday, not a day I was working. But like, you know, worked out leisurely, walked around. And then before I knew it, I was like, oh, I'm hungry. It's 2.30. I should eat. And I ate. And I ate a normal amount. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm starving. It's been 19 hours. I need five meals. Like, no, you probably don't. It's probably a normal amount of food for you that's going to do it. So I always find that interesting and definitely pay attention to your appetite while you're fasting. Because while we may be tempted to gorge and eat a shit ton because, oh my God, I've been fasting for so long, I need all this food. No, pay attention to how hungry you actually are. You may be surprised. I always think that's really interesting, especially because the science shows that satiety is induced more and more quickly. So your appetite may actually start to get lower as you continue to fast. I love fasting. I think it's amazing. It's definitely not for everyone. And it's something, it's, it's a tool that can be used as you need it. Like anything, consistency is key. So don't fast for one day and write me some dirty DM saying nothing happened. I didn't lose weight. Nothing changed. Do it consistently. Start to pay attention to how you feel. The other thing that I really like about fasting, it really encourages hydration because when water is the only thing you can put into your body and you're focused on this fast, you're much more inclined to start drinking water. So I see that as a win-win. You're fasting, you're helping the body reset and relax. Hopefully you're hitting that autophagy state and you're getting that hydration in. <sighs> I hope everyone's motivated to go fast. I currently am almost at my 16 hour mark and I have to say, I'm not even close to hungry. So I've had water and I've had one iced coffee. I'm going to break my fast when I'm hungry or when I'm just lightheaded and pass out, you know, one of those two. I'm kidding. Don't ever let yourself get to that point, obviously. But the point is tune into those hunger and satiety cues. Um, Fasting is an amazing tool. And like I said, take it with you anywhere. You can do it at any time. I've actually talked a bit about it on um, one of my episodes and I was discussing jet lag and fasting 
on a plane and breaking it when you land to help reset the circadian rhythm. So it's amazing the amount of benefits you can get from fasting and how you use it. But that's up to you. It's all what your goals are and what you're focused on. But again, start with those 12 hours. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Too much too soon is going to lead to failure and frustration. So hit the 12 hours. Let me know how it goes. 